the pendulum is swung back the other way and smart founders can probably find great talent everywhere else. You listened to that other episode months ago. I think you should ignore what I said. (laughs) 20% of your people should be ones and you should fire them. So I guess what I'm trying to say is both of us are right. Almost like a QVC commercial sort of line. And it's definitely a turn off. Our company, like, you know, I'm not trying to like hide it. Anyway, (laughs) but like, (laughs) man, I am literally tripping over the breadcrumbs now. Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. We've got a handful of topics that I I know we're not going to get to all of them, but sort of just trying to keep ourselves honest. (laughs) We've got, and in roughly the order I think we'll handle them both this week and next week, unless there's other stuff where we find it's more important and stuff starts getting pushed around. We've um, we've got an interesting little tidbit about uh, Google and Microsoft and how they're laying off people that uh, I think is relevant for talent acquirers. Um, there's a, uh, an interesting lesson, I think, to be learned uh, from a tweet that Paul sent me in regards to a company that got acquired by a much larger privately held company and is now getting uh, involved in a bankruptcy filing. We've got a story on Uber's cost-saving measures that's reasonably interesting, and then one of my portfolio companies that um, had an interesting reaction from one of their investors. So a uh, bunch of stuff there, but um, but I guess you know probably the probably the best place to start. We were talking about this in pre-show, but just ruminating on the fact that both of our inboxes have really changed recently, Paul, over the last, I'd say, not even six months. It's, it's really been like the last 60 to 90 days. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't, I'm sure there's tools out there where I could maybe go plot it out and see see what it actually looks like. But um, I was just looking at it over the last seven days. My My cold inbox, like meaning emails coming from people I've never interacted with, is averaging about 800 cold pitches a day right now. That's now, obscene. actually, to be fair, some of that might just be like the fa- you know the follow up because I'm in their drip sequence. But even right. if you cut that in half, let's let's just say we cut it in half just because I'm making the number up. It's like 400 ish a day cold emails coming over the transom with, "Hey, would you like to invest in our opportunity that closes tomorrow?" <laughs> like it's like they're not even trying anymore. Now it's just spray and pray. And hope somebody hits reply. <laughs> yeah, and I think the thing that's most interesting to me, and I mean, you know, I we've been like we we did some, and we talked about this in the past in the show, but just for folks who may not have heard it, like I was you know, tertiarily involved in startups very early on in my career, and then you know, sort of you know, more fullish time starting in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, somewhere in there. So we're we're coming up on fifteen years. And yeah, there was obviously a down cycle in two thousand eight, two thousand nine that we that we sifted through. I just don't remember to your point, like the 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 cold email traffic has spiked exponentially. And then the, there's two other wrinkles. The one about the rounds almost closed and but we have space for someone that we've never met is definitely something that has is started to occur with an incredibly high rate of frequency that I I haven't seen before and it's um almost like a QVC commercial sort of line and it's definitely a turn off for me but I think what's even more amazing to me and this goes to what you mentioned about the drip campaigns is that there's a follow up email after the hey you know we looked at your profile of investments on LinkedIn and we think you're a good fit for us and our rounds almost closed but we'd love to have you in and this is like has to happen quickly and you know let us know when we can talk 
And then some period of time later, measured in days, they're like, oh, by the way, we're still, you know, that opportunity is still available for you. Yeah, it, it's, well, it's not a good look. No. I, I would, I would, um, it would be interesting one day though, to, 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 to try to reach out to these people and see if any of this actually worked. Like, is this, I just, I can't help but wonder, like, is this a way that they're, is this how they're like pretending to do work? you know, just for the sake of doing work, like, Hey, I emailed a thousand investors today or, or is somebody actually replying to these things? And is this a way that they're maybe using to like start scooping up unsophisticated people into the rounds? I, it'd be interesting at some point to kind of look at what the other side of this is, but it just seems to like the templates, you know, when you start just scanning through them, it, it looks like there's like a a common set of templates they're all using so it just kind of yes it just feels a little bit more organized than uh, like it's almost like somebody must have sold an info product and said here's a 97 dollars package of emails that you can just put into your drip sequence and uh and magically investors will come out i i don't know it just it's definitely not a good look though i'm gonna sound very old school when i say this my father taught me something a long time ago the sort of you know um, implicitly, he mentioned one time very early on that that he, when he was applying for credit cards, I think was the context. He specifically, and back then, I mean, the other obviously a lot less credit cards, yada yada yada. But he always made a point with each different card that he had applied for that he had a slight sort of twist on his name. So um, mm. he used his middle name on some applications. He didn't use it on others. He used the middle initial. And his reason for that was then he knew where the junk mail was coming from based on the naming sequence. So he had a high degree of confidence where it was coming from. And I think what's interesting from my standpoint is, you know, I'm Edward Pizzarello on LinkedIn. I'm Ed Pizza for my travel podcast. And then, you know, I'm listed differently as a, um, as a, the, whatever the, the content creator on both of our podcasts, this one results junkies. And then my other one travel miles to go and I've you know, co-hosts and stuff. And so like, I, I have stuff coming in, like I had one that came in, uh, that was a pitch and they had listed both of the names of myself and my co-host of my travel podcast, sort of just like, again, like sort of like a bad mail merge, dear Ed pizza, Richard Kerr. Mm-hmm. Here's the opportunity. And it's like, oh God, like you, you're not even trying. Yeah. I, I got one this nor I got one this morning that I thought about tweeting and I just didn't want to look I didn't want to like be the mean guy. But anyway, it, it was a template and you know, you could see where the person had put their name and my name and all that. And then at one point they forgot to finish it up and it says at that one point it says untitled company or something. And so it's like it's just such a bad look. But but again, I think it's just it maybe it you know, it'd be at some point it'd be interesting to see the other side of the table and if they're getting any results. But I think in in uh, at a higher level, it sort of just speaks to some level of desperation of you know what what founders are facing out there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean that might even be a good segue uh, into that first topic. But let me let me let me let you drive. You're uh, you're a better driver than me. <laughs> thought um yeah so we're, we're yeah one of the things that you had uh, posted a, a reel on was this concept that google and microsoft specifically and i'm sure there are others but google and microsoft have been pretty public about the fact that the way that they're going about layoffs is um by ratcheting up the standards on performance reviews and so i mean sort of like the old jack welsh um g capital sort of me- me- mentality of 
you know, you're going to score your people. I forget what the scoring system was. I think it was a five point system. And, you know, like 20% of your people should be ones and you should fire them. And so, you know, Google and Microsoft are essentially, um, you know, adopting a formula like that. And, and the point of this, um, which I think you astutely you know, noted was if you just got laid off from Google or Microsoft and you're applying somewhere else, you know, are you that bottom performer? And does does another startup who's out there looking to acquire talent really want to acquire Google and Microsoft's retreads? Yeah, the reason I, I sent this to you is because it's sort of, uh, you know, an interesting... Uh, it's So a couple months ago on, on, on one of our episodes, I talked about this idea that as uh, employees of larger companies' stock options went upside down, that's a mouthful, but... In other words, a couple a couple months ago in an episode, we talked about this idea that smaller companies, whether you're bootstrapped or venture funded in the earlier stages, could start to maybe, you know, recruit people from much bigger organizations because their stock options might have been starting to go underwater uh, as the as the economy started to slow down and stuff like that during the summer. This is uh, so so in that, you know, that that seemed like the right thing to do at the time and all that. But now this kind of says that maybe we should be more careful about that. In other words, um, Microsoft and Google and a couple other of these companies announced within the last quarter that they were going to be doing these higher, uh, implementing higher standards uh, for performance reviews. And then lo and behold, here we are like 30 to 90 days later and huge swaths of the company have been let go. And and I'm gonna, I don't mean to sound cruel at all, but, you know, it kind of means that if, you listened to that other episode months ago, I think you should ignore what I said. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that was more of a nervous laugh as opposed to a, uh, you know, I don't mean to make light of the situation, but I think that, you know, now it begs the question of, you know, it used to be that you would look at somebody's resume and say, oh man, ex-Googler? Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta get them, right? And, and now it's like, mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You gotta, you gotta have a few more questions answered before you even like get that excited. So, yeah, it's a tough position for those folks to be in because they're probably not going to get the crazy high salaries they used to. And it's just a bad look for everybody. Well, it's funny, too, because I, I was just having a conversation about um, about this with with the CEO of one of our portfolio companies. And he, he made a he was making a, what I thought was a very um, astute decision. Um, and it, it brings back an observation for me. And it was essentially they're, they're looking for a senior finance person. And I guess as an aside, if anybody out there um, has a, a senior finance person that's looking for work, uh, one of our portfolio companies um, is looking to fill that spot. So, you know, reach out to me and I'll, co- I'll connect you with the company. But um, but their focus was finding someone between the coasts. And that was how he phrased it to me. And I think the interesting thing there is it's not the first time I've heard this come up over the last couple of months. Smart founders are, are realizing and seeing the salary difference between people who live to your point from the tech tour, not in Boston, not in Silicon Valley, not New York, everywhere else. And that the salary difference is significant in terms of what they can, the, the sort of level of talent position that they can acquire. And when jobs were hard to fill a year ago, 18 months ago, you know, all that time, well, you know, you, you took the candidate you could find. And a lot of times you either overpaid, quote unquote, or you paid for someone that was in one of these bigger markets where they commanded a premium salary. And the pendulum has swung back the other way and smart founders can probably find great talent everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, the other, so I don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet, but you know, in a couple 
weeks or whatever, I'll kind of tell you, tell everybody what we're, what I've been working on, uh, uh, instead of talking to you about Beacon or getting grilled by you about Beacon. Um, but you know, been, look, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I, I feel like I've been pretty good about not grilling you about Beacon. I, I think because you have context and you know why. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's <laughs> but, fair. Context, but, context has helped that. Yeah. But, but, but here's the thing, like to your point, the 50th percent, like, so let's just say you're looking for that. I don't Let's just make it up a CFO. Uh, the, the, and let's say you look at the salary ranges on Glassdoor or salary.com or whatever you use. It's, it's not rocket science. Like if you want to pay the 50th percentile in New York city, you're probably not competitive, but the 80th percentile in, uh, Boise, Idaho is going to make you look like a rock star, but with no probably very little difference uh, in experience level between those two candidates. So in other words, you know, being able to pay 250K, I'm making this up in New York City, probably isn't competitive. Uh, but paying 125 in Boise, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just, oh, yeah. it eventually just comes down to math. Because like some of these roles don't need to be specialized or need to, they don't need to be specifically located in a specific region. And sure the smartest founders are the ones that uh, not only recognize that, but sort of take advantage of that arbitrage. Um, Cause the goal is not to pay the least amount of money. The goal is to get the maximum bang for your buck. Correct. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's like with this, this new thing I'm working on. Yeah. I mean, like we're a hundred percent remote and we can, I haven't looked at the, the actual numbers. So don't quote me on this, but like, I think it's safe to say that the salaries we offer to the staff are are probably 20% higher than whatever their town is normally going to support or their city is going to support. But for us, it's like much more economical because I don't have to pay Northern Virginia rates or uh, big city rates or anything like that. And, and so it's like, it's a win-win for everybody. They get paid more without having to pick up and move. And I like, I'm not having to pay, you know, air quotes here, K street prices in downtown DC just because I want to see everybody in the office next to me. So I, I guess this is also tied back to this broader idea of like, as the world went remote, the people that sort of figured out how to embrace that remote work lifestyle are the ones that might be in a better position to come out on top later on. Astute observers will, will note that Paul used the, the word we an awful lot in the last 90 seconds. So can't wait to rip the Band-Aid off of that one. Um, <laughs> and just as a quick reminder for folks, if you're just tuning in and you want to shoot us a question or yell at us, throw tomatoes, all that stuff, you can email us, show at resultsjunkies.com. Also, really helpful link in the show notes, which would help us to leave us a quick review and a rating on whatever platform you are listening. We love that. Helps us drive discovery for the show. And then social media, he is at Paul Singh, and I am at Pizza in Motion. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about this Uber story as well. It's next up on our list. Uh, you know, we had this one on the on the, the shelf for last week, and like, there's so many different ways to go with this because I think it's just an interesting position for Uber. But the here, the long and short of it, and I'll put a link into this in the show notes. But the long and short of it is that Uber is working with car manufacturers to design electric vehicles that are customized for both the ride sharing side and the delivery side. So, you know, potentially vehicles that have fewer seats. Um, for deliveries or vehicles maybe that have seats that face each other, um, you know, all kinds of different things. And you can certainly say that, you know, and I won't cover the whole thing here. I'm going to want to stop and let Paul comment, but like just to frame it up, you could certainly say that this is a, a CEO doing 
you know, more than one thing at a time and just be multitasking well. But I think the thing that we want to try to drill in on is this, this concept of the fact that typically in the life cycle of a, of a, of a startup or a growth company, the, the cost cutting phase, finding ways to control your controllables is, is pretty far down the line. Um, when you've already figured out what your max revenue is and, and what your stability factor is for things like, in Uber's case, how much they should be paying a, a driver and how much they should be charging a customer and, and everything in between. So um, this comes, I think, at an interesting time for Uber, especially because they're one of the few large tech companies that is not laying, has already said so far, they're not laying people off. So, so there's a couple of things that I thought this was interesting. Um and again, like for anybody listening, like the goal here is to not just kind of rehash everything about Uber and all that other stuff that everybody already talks about. I think it's really more like, you know, Ed and I spend a lot of time on the investing side, obviously talking to our portfolio companies and investing in new companies and all that. But on the other side of it, we're also operators. I mean, you're operating your businesses. I'm operating one sure. that I'll tell you all about later. Um, and so like understanding these like m more macro kind of things is really important because there are some takeaways, I think, that are applicable to all of us. So, okay. So I think, um, you know, to your point, when you brought this up, you know, you're, you were basically saying that, Hey, cost cutting be usually becomes a priority when you think that you feel pretty comfortable on the revenue side and the growth side, I, I, you worded it slightly different, but is that, is that sort of the yeah. gist? Yeah. 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 It's when you've got, it's when you've got stability in the other parts of your business that you start focusing on things like, Hey, can I rearrange my supply chain in some way that helps, you know, squeeze some more out of the business? And so I think there's this question right now for Uber, is it, is this that that portion? Because I think the other argument you could make, and I'm not making this argument necessarily. I just think it's interesting to study it, especially when we think about where startups are in their life cycle. If Uber feels like they don't have a big enough piece of the pie, they could be making this move to try and increase the size of the pie. In 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 that, if they make it cheaper for drivers to want to come on the platform by reducing their their entry costs then they they increase the size of the pie yeah I, I don't think okay so I do I don't think you're wrong at all I think I think you're right but I again on the operator side I would just say I come at this slightly differently uh, in the, in the sense that I would say that one of the things that people should be understanding here is that or maybe one of the ideas people should consider when you see something bigger like this happening is that so at least one person in your company right now should be focused on cost cutting. Always. Even if you're not comfortable, like, like for example, I would say that our company, like the, you know, the, the, I'm not trying to like hide it anyway, <laughs> but like, like our company, Man, I'm, is, I am literally tripping over the breadcrumbs now. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I mean, our company's growing, you know, and we're at, you know, into the seven figures of revenue and it's profitable and all that stuff. But like, um, that doesn't mean we feel comfortable with what growth looks like. Like to your point, you said when you feel like revenue and growth is stable, you use the word stable, then you start to focus on growth. Like I definitely don't feel like it's stable. I, I, you know, we're, we're sort of like, it's like, how do we get to eight figures, nine figures, 10 figures, you know, that sort of thing. But we've already got, you know, at least one person on the team solely focused, or at least in terms of them, one of their top three priorities this quarter is, is cost cutting or at least preparing for it. And I, you know, for example, with us, and I can't tell you anybody else what to do, but like, just to give everybody an example here, when you're running your companies, well, however big you are, is like, it, the lesson here is, is no matter where you think your revenue and your growth is going right now, given what's happening in the macro environments, it's probably smart to have at least one person who has cost cutting as one of their top priorities. And what that looks like, for example, for us, is that this month we went in and, uh, 
uh, scheduled cancellations for all of our annual vendor contracts. And that sounds crazy, but the thought is, is like, hey, look, I don't want any of these auto renewals to hit. In fact, I want to be able to say that we either need to like review whether we want to stay with those vendors when the, when the annual renewals are up, or maybe we'll have more leverage at that time to, to maybe get another discount. So it's kind of like, it's kind of brutal, but that's kind of what we got to do, right? Like, you know, you're constantly trying to increase the margins as much as you can. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is both of us are right. I mean, Uber is probably, you know, when they think about like investing in this cost cutting thing, you know, building cars and stuff is a long-term thing. They probably have to start now anyway. So I, I think everything you're saying is probably right. And I'm just saying that in addition to that, the lesson here for everybody else, the rest of us that aren't at that level yet, is, you know, the next year is going to be bumpy and you should have at least one person in the team just constantly thinking about how to pound on the vendors, you know, and keep those costs low. So it, it's funny how like all those like little $19 a month charges could add up real fast. <laughs> There's a lot of, of room to cut, I imagine. Well, and in my world, I've always felt this, and this is probably more because I come from the brick and mortar side of things where we, you know, we always have to have a cost focus as things change. But I think, you know, to your point, I think serial entrepreneurs, which you certainly qualify as, have been through this enough to know that cost cutting is going to come at some point in the model. And there's no harm in getting started early in an environment where a lot less cash is coming out to founders from investors. And it's not clear what the parameters are to get that cash because we've talked about that a number of times. Um, the, you know, then the cash that you hold on to becomes that much more valuable. And so from a cost cutting standpoint, I mean, I would say, I would say two things. First off, I think to your point of what you're doing with your business is incredibly smart in, in the life cycle. There's no, there's no time it's too early to, to, to not think about cost cutting. To be clear, maybe you don't make that choice, but to your point, you've canceled all your contract renewals so that you can make that decision when the time comes up. Is this still the most relevant place to spend this money? Um, the other side of it, too, is when I think about innovation, I think some of the best innovations for businesses came out of a necessity to cut costs and just going through that exercise and trying to understand what the business needs and what your customer is looking for. I think when you try to look at it through the lens of can I justify this? Um, and so, like, I'll give an example. We were having a discussion very different from what you're talking about, but. In our restaurants, like, you, you know, when you're driving down the road um, and you see those blue highway signs that tell you at a certain exit, um, you know, there's a McDonald's or a Wendy's or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we have some of those for our Five Guys restaurants. And I was having this discussion with someone on our team and there was a price that, um, uh, you know, that, that for a, one of our stores to get on one of the signs nearby. And, and, and his comment was, well, that's not a lot of money. You know, we should be able to make that back. And so I, I flipped it around on him and said, well, let's think about what our incremental profit is. If our incremental profit is 20%, then that sign is going to cost you, I think the sign was going to be 200 bucks per exit that we want to put it on. Can you sell an extra $1,000 of burgers per month to pay for that sign? Now, maybe mm -hmm. the answer is yes, maybe the answer is no, but framing it up in terms of, you know, what does it take to, to pay for that caused him to stop and think about it. Like, well, okay, like what could I do with that money? And can I sell a thousand dollars worth of burgers? And I think the things that you're doing with your business are, are very similar in terms of, you know, let's evaluate each of these contracts and see if it's still getting us where we need to go. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'd be curious if anybody listening to this is um, interested, like, tell me what you want me to talk about as we talk more about this. Cause I, I do, I do think that we're going to, I want to kind of build in public as much as we can on this thing. But um, yeah, I mean, like in our world, uh, we, 
we just are trying to get more focused on attribution, you know, on, on, for example, like to, to, to your point there, like the, obviously on the internet, there's no blue signs by every exit, but you know, you start to think about pay-per-click spend, your remarketing spend, uh, you know, your headcount that might be focused on search engine optimization, your cold outbound, everything. And so we've just started building in a lot of reports into Google analytics so that we can also start to track like what, you know, what our cost per lead per channel is and that sort of stuff. So we're just getting like really, I don't want to say like tight, but I just, it's like, I just don't want anything to sneak up on us. And and I think that's, that's the big lesson for everybody right now is that like, even if you're not prepared to go down the path of cost cutting, what you should be doing right now in Q1 of 2023 is making sure you understand every line item <laughs> between your, your, your gross revenue and your net revenue. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, between your revenue yeah. and your, and your uh, earnings. Just, you just need to understand what every one of those line items is. And if you could move each of them down by maybe even 0.1%, those things add up pretty fast. And then over the longer term, they compound out you're better off doing it now because not to see, I hate, I'm an optimist, right? But I don't want to like be an alarmist here, but at the same time, like look at some of these companies, like some of these larger companies that have done, you know, layoffs here more recently. These are also companies that publicly reported earnings, you know, in the billions of dollars over the trailing 12 months. If they're not optimistic about hitting their revenue targets over the next 12 months, you and I probably shouldn't be either. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Although you might, people still got to eat burgers, but, uh, uh, we'll see. I don't know, man. The more the more price of burger goes up, the more nervous I am, and people still want to eat them. So, I, you know, half of my job, I feel like, is actually uh, uh, being the filter for my mother in law's fi- uh, complaints about Five Guys and you. <laughs> She's like, you tell Ed that those burgers are getting real expensive now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, somebody needs to somebody somebody needs to figure out how to fatten up the cows in, in, a, in an affordable way because the because the cows are getting more expensive too, and and um, the bread and the bacon and the foil I, and the milkshake. I don't know. Is there <laughs> is there a business idea there? Like, is there a business opportunity? Somebody's got to you know. Uh, sc- how do you scale cow production? I don't I don't even know. Right. <laughs> Boy, that, that seems like a really great place to put a pin in it for uh, for this week. But we did, uh, for for reference, we did leave uh, we did leave this notion of uh, of a of a, an acquisition, um, the tough to needle acquisition by Serta um, that ended up in a bankruptcy that we want to talk about because we think there's some good lessons there for founders. And then a, a, just a placeholder for a conversation uh, that I had with one of our portfolio companies about um, what, the direction that one of their investors is um, is giving them. So that yep. stuff and and whatever else gets really interesting over the next handful of days will be uh, what we cover next week. I love it. All right, man. Well, uh, happy uh, week, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I will see yeah. you soon. <laughs> we'll be a week. We'll be a week closer to your big reveal of who we is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See, I, I, now I'm getting nervous, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be fun. <laughs> hey, I'm not the one to the reveal. <laughs> All right. Yes. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Later.